Hey guys, I'm Valerie. And I'm Jasmine, and this is Crafts, Dress, and Crime. Today, we have kind of a special story for you. I mean, I guess that's kind of a weird thing to say, maybe, in a true crime podcast, but I was at a wedding in Tybee Island, Georgia, back in March, and and of course, while I was there, we ended up talking about what murders took place in the area, as one does. Yes, I love that. <laughs> yes. So I want to, for that reason, dedicate this episode to Michelle and Brittany. They are the two lovely brides from the wedding. So if it wasn't for them, I wouldn't know about this case. But we are going to going to be talking today about Joni O'Shaughnessy. Have you ever heard of her? No. I had never heard of this either. And again, the only reason I know about it is because we were like, oh, I wonder who's gotten murdered here. So... The last name, for some reason, sounds really familiar, but, like, I, I can't, I don't know. O'Shaughnessy. So, O'Shaughnessy is one of the last names that when I type it in on Microsoft Word, it doesn't have a red squiggle line under it. Oh. So, it might just be, like, a legitimate, like, like, a valid last name. I don't know. <laughs> like Smith. Like Smith, I know. There are five valid last names, and that's one of them. So. I was say, yeah, because... Lopez doesn't have a... It has a squiggle. It has a squiggle, yeah. It's because you're Mexican. Nobody wants to... They're like, it's not right. It's not English. <laughs> so the sources for this episode are Savannah Now, Georgia Obituaries and Death Notices, Legacy.com, WTOC News, WebMD, and NHS. And I do want to give um, a couple of trigger warnings in the beginning. We are going to be talking about drug and alcohol abuse. We're going to be talking about domestic, emotional, and physical abuse, and we're going to be talking about suicide. So there are three major hitters in this episode, so please bear that in mind before we get started. In the early 1990s, Joni met Owen O'Shaughnessy when he was in Georgia, giving a lecture on pain management. Joni's from Savannah, Georgia, which is the main town neighboring Tybee Island, where our story takes place. Owen was from Dublin, Ireland, but he was currently living in Michigan. They met at a bar during his visit, and they hit it off immediately. Joni, who was having marital problems with her spouse at the time, decided after they met to officially end her marriage. That's how infatuated they were with each other. And from that point forward, they were both certain that they were soulmates. They wrote each other every day, and it wasn't long until Joni moved to Michigan to be with him. In 1992, they got married. Owen, who was a doctor, was trying to obtain board certification to allow him some more opportunities, but he didn't succeed. Because of this, he decided the next best thing would be to open up his own clinic and practice general medicine. The couple decided to move to Tybee Island, and Owen opened up the only medical clinic there. Now, Tybee Island's a pretty small place. It's less than three and a half square miles, and it's an incredibly safe place. Like, the kind of place where people, Joni and Owen included, didn't lock their doors. You know, that's like the whole, every time anybody <laughs> says a place is safe, they're like, oh yeah, everybody didn't lock their doors and stuff like that. It was that place. And now, you might think that opening up your own medical clinic could probably be decent money, but that actually wasn't Owen's goal. In fact, he didn't care about getting rich, and he actually was known to, like, give patients free treatment when they needed it. That's awesome. Like, I wish I wish that there were more doctors like that, for sure. It's great. He Like, he really was a doctor because he wanted to be a doctor, and he wanted to help people. Yeah. 
Joni, being a very outgoing woman, went out frequently with her friends. And in fact, she was known around town to be a partier. And I don't just mean she went out and she talked with people. I mean, and I don't say this to judge or to criticize somebody or to taint any kind of the reputation. It is important to the story is why I'm talking about it. But when I say partier, I mean she was the kind of person who drank a ton of alcohol. She did drugs and she took prescription pills recreationally. So she's like That's exactly right. how you would define a partier. And Owen was the exact opposite. He wasn't social and he didn't have many friends. He preferred to stay home and smoke marijuana on occasion. He even stated that he resented that Joni was so social and he wasn't. The couple argued about money and they had a hard time managing it. They shortly began fighting about other things too. Owen was diagnosed with bipolar disorder, though it's unclear when. He took medication to treat his bipolar disorder, but he wasn't always consistent with it, even though he's a doctor. He should know better. If you are on medicine right. for anything for that is, is helps your mental health, you need to take it every single day, period. Absolutely, because the, you know, it's like you're sitting here and you're taking something that's going to help you, so it's like... When you stop, it just keeps fluctuating that. And it's not making it any better for yourself. It might actually make it worse. And, like, especially, like, um, drugs for mental health, um, you know, you have your ups and downs. And, like, sometimes that's detrimental to people. Like, stuff, like, obviously all medicine should be taken, if it's prescribed, should be taken by, you know, how they prescribe it, all that good stuff. Um, But especially, I feel like mental health is a big one. Those medications, definitely. And for Owen, he said that, like, when he took his medication properly, it, you know, it caused a drop in his sex drive. And it's so important to remember there are other options. Now, we are talking about the early 90s, so this is a little bit more forgivable in that time frame. But I just want to make a point of saying that if one of your medications isn't working for you and that's why you're not taking it consistently, talk with your doctor about that. That is very much, we're going to promote this. <laughs> very much, please talk to your doctor about it because there are medicines that exist that can help improve your mental health that you can take every day without having those side effects. Right, exactly. I remember um, hearing somebody talk about um, how, I don't remember, I think it was like a family friend maybe, they were talking about they were taking medications for depression, but like they felt every, like almost every drug that they were taking kind of like felt like they were in a box. So, like, in their brain, they were just in a box. Like, no matter what, they couldn't think outside the box. They couldn't do anything. They were just in this one mindset. Mm -hmm. And that sucks. But the good thing, like, especially now, you're able to um, try everything you can. Like, obviously, there's, like, a waiting period. Like, you're going to have to try it for this amount of time. Then you're going to have to give your body this amount of time to get it out of your system. Then try something new. Like, it's, it's okay to do that. Like, right. it's, it's better for you to do that because that's the only way you're going to find what works for you. Right. And I think there's a big misconception, too, that, like you said about being in a box, that a lot of mental health medication makes you feel like that. I will preach all day long that Lexapro is the only reason that I am functioning like an extroverted human being in my day-to-day life. I am nothing without my Lexapro, and I have not missed a dose in the last four yeah. years <laughs> because I, it, it, that's, you know... And it, it, you know, it does have some things like, you know, I gained a little bit of weight. Okay. Right. 
like that's you know what I mean and you know I've worked with different medicines over time and I know a lot of people who've dealt with different you know taking different mental health medications but it not everything makes you feel like you're you're in a box it doesn't make me feel like I'm not a different person it makes me feel like I'm comfortable with being myself and that's a big difference that a lot of people I feel like there's a big stigma on it so this somehow turned into us trying to destigmatize mental health medication. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it's great. I feel like we should do this more often. Um, we actually yeah, no, should. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then also, like, I was talking to somebody not too long ago, actually, who, you know, they just, they stopped taking their medicine. They just kept forgetting to pick up their medication. And it kind of made them feel like, they the dep- they take it for depression and it made them feel even more depressed than before and when we were talking it was kind of like they were like i'm literally just crying to cry at this point and they're like i know it's because i haven't taken my medication but it's never been this bad and it's the withdrawals from the medication just like a week with you without you taking it properly like can affect you so much worse than you just not taking it at all so that's why we're trying to push you guys or people in general to definitely stay on your medications mm-hmm. as prescribed. Yes. And then it's okay, <laughs> it's okay to be prescribed medication for your mental yeah, health. There's, there's nothing, nothing wrong. wrong with that. And there's not, if you can do therapy and just do therapy, that's great too. If you need both, that's great. If you need neither, I am so <laughs> jealous and I don't think I know a single person in my life who doesn't do either. So, <laughs> right. Like, and also that's the other thing. Like, it's okay to try out different doctors. Like, it's oh, yeah. perfectly fine. It's not like you're doctor shopping, like they say. Obviously, people do that. But, like, at the same time, your mental health is is a lot. So, like, myself personally, like, I've had to figure out what kind of therapist works for me. Because I've had some who just let me talk the entire time and don't really give me any feedback. And then I have some who have, like, been like assholes in my opinion to me about how I'm feeling and certain things that I've said that just doesn't work for me either. Like you've got to figure out where that balance is as far as your medication and your doctor that you're seeing. So, you know, it's, it's okay. Yeah. That, I mean, that's a very good point. And I mean, we can go on all day about this actually, <laughs> but the, the whole point of us saying all of this is just to say that Owen, who is a doctor and who should know better, was not taking his medication as prescribed because he felt that those side effects, you know, were kind of frustrating to him and not always worth it. So with bipolar disorder, though, laying off his medicine obviously resulted in more of a fluctuation of his mood. And therefore, during those times, the fighting between him and Joni was significantly worse. He states that during these times, he had to hold Joni back to prevent her from hitting him. That's how bad it would get. And I can't find how he found out, but Owen discovered that Joni had been having sex with other women. He decided from this that the best course of action would be to force her to have a threesome. Which didn't go well. Yeah. It turns out that threesomes don't solve marital problems. But, um, I mean, maybe for somebody. <laughs> but it, it didn't work here. So, needless to say, marital problems continue to get worse 
Now, Joni's friends say that they don't know anything about Joni having sex with women. And I do want to say, though, that I'm not sure I would tell my friends that if I was a married woman to a man that I was having sex with other women. Right. I feel so... like it's, it's... I feel like there are some people who have friends like that who you can say that to. Like, you know, like you surround yourself with people who are kind of like you. So, like... Let's just say me and you, we're both in relationships. Like, if I was to tell you that or you were to tell me that you were doing that, like, we'd be like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Get your shit together. You're you're not doing this anymore. Don't do that. That's wrong. But, like, other people, like, there are some situations where they could do that. But still, like, I just, no. Right. I'd be like, girl, what is wrong with you? <laughs> right. I wouldn't tell my friends that, especially being with somebody. Yeah. So... You know, they weren't aware of that, but I'm not sure that that means that it wasn't happening. Honestly, it's not super relevant to the story anyways, other than to say that it was another point of contention for the couple. And Joni's friends did know, though, that she was going to contact a divorce attorney to use, to kind of threaten Owen with divorce, though she had no intentions of actually divorcing him. She never ended up telling Owen about it either, so he had no idea that this even happened. In July of 2002, Joni went on a trip to Central America. When she returned home, she had E. coli in her lungs. Which Jasmine's face, if y'all could see, (laughs) just said everything that you'd be like, oh, that's exactly what you should be doing right now. So because her and Owen had been fighting, he decided that he wasn't going to help her. So instead of writing her, you know, for antibiotics and to help help treat her, she had to have her mom take her to a different city to see a doctor so that she can get treatment. Because mind you, he's the only doctor in the immediate area. So Okay, so I have a question about that. Sorry. So like can he do that? Like since he is since he's the only doctor, he can legally do that. Yes, there was no issue at all for him writing her prescriptions. Okay, what a douchebag, but okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, so she obviously was really irritated, and at this point they've been having problems anyway, so she decided that she was going to spend some time away from Owen to kind of clear her head. So she decided to write him a letter, and it was dated sometime in July. Like, quote, sometime in July. Not like an actual date. And it was on the back of a marketing paper. So in my opinion, writing something on the back of a paper that was, like, in the mail or hanging on your door. Right. And dating it, like, I don't even know what the date is, but I know it's July. (laughs) Is, like, such an urgent, like, it seems like whatever was on her mind was heavy enough that she didn't even try to, you know, find anything proper to write on or anything like that. Right. I've been in that, like, situation where you, like, need to write something down, like, if, especially if it's something you don't want to forget. Like, you're like, okay, shit, I need to write this down. Let me get fucking toilet paper if I have to. Just write that down or something. Exactly. Yes. Okay. So that's exactly what this seems like to me. But pieces of this note that she wrote on there are public. And so what that reads is, quote, this is bad. This is wicked, evil, hateful, destructive, willful badness. If you believe in sin and some tiny Catholic part of you still does, you're skating right up to the edge of a huge one. There's no way I will avoid this just hard punishment that you've been polishing, nurturing, saving me up for so very, very, very long. This is revenge. 
This is righteous retribution. Here's the tricky part. How? I've got a plan now and all you need to do is simple. Let me sleep. No drama, no drugs or razors. Peaceful. Easy. Just wait. Withhold. I will go away. Disappear. Honest. So that's kind of a really interesting letter. I don't really know a whole lot of what to take out of that, but that is important. So, you know, just think kind of about the kind of mind state that she was in. So worse yet for Joni, she contracted hepatitis C. And this is... Yeah, hepatitis C, for those who don't know, is contracted via blood contact from one infected person to another individual. So once you're infected, it attacks your liver. So for Joni, who had this partying lifestyle, things had to change. She couldn't continue to do her heavy alcohol consumption, her drug consumption, or her prescription pill use. Now, I don't have many details about the prescription medications that she was taking, but I do know that she used Oxycontin. Now, Oxycontin's a very strong pain medication that Owen had prescribed to her. Now, Owen says that he wrote the prescription in Joni's name to give to a friend's ailing mother. Now, my issue with this is, first of all, (laughs) why not just write it for the friend's mother? That literally doesn't make sense. Like, you have the ability to do that. You're a doctor. You can write a prescription for for the friend's mother. And Owen was actually known to prescribe pain medications easily. So it doesn't seem sensible to me that Joni's Oxycontin was really intended for someone else's use. And I'm actually going to circle back to this later, but we're going to put a pin in that for right now, okay? Yeah, because I got a lot to say. (laughs) (laughs) On July 31st, 2002, Joni and Owen decided that they would try to go on a reconciliation date in Savannah. Before leaving for this date, around 5.30 p.m., Joni called a friend, Linda, and asked her to try to get cocaine and Oxycontin. Joni told Owen that she had been feeling really anxious for no particular reason, so he decided to call her in a prescription for 30 tablets of Ativan. Now, Ativan is a, also known as lorazepam. It's a benzodiazepine that enhances GABA, and GABA is a neurotransmitter active in your central nervous system. So low levels of GABA cause anxiety. At 6 p.m., they picked up the Ativan from the drugstore. And we know these time frames that I'm going to give you from this point forward because of receipts. So these are, you know, certain time frames. Joni and Owen saw a band at the harbor in Savannah before stopping for a few drinks downtown. They paid that check shortly before 11.30 p.m. and headed home from there. When they arrived home, Owen went to sleep. Joni, on the other hand, decided that she wanted to go to the bar and join a party one of her friends was having. One of the friends at the party, Irene, noted that Joni drank her single beer and she seemed kind of off. She said of it, quote, she wasn't talking to anybody. She seemed very down from a distance, but when you went over and talked to her, it was like she was hiding something. It's something that made me uncomfortable. It is kind of weird because she was like a partier if she only drank one beer. She only drank one beer at that bar. And also just that she decided she was still going to go and then was kind of like keeping to herself a little bit. It was very out of nature for her. Okay. Okay. But again, she was saying that her anxiety was pretty bad that day. So, you know, she might have thought that like, you know, maybe going there would help. 
3 a.m., the bar closed and everyone left. People who spoke to Joni stated that she did not seem intoxicated. She said she was going to go to another bar. Irene noticed Joni talking to a blonde woman who she thought she recognized as Joni's friend Linda. Now, remember, Linda's the person who Joni had called about cocaine and Oxycontin earlier. I do want to point out, though, that Irene was not positive that this was Linda. And Linda also claims later that she was not in Tybee Island that night. So she was speaking to somebody, and then she went off towards the direction of a bar, which is also the opposite direction of her house, just for reference. According to Owen, sometime between 2.30 and 3.30 a.m., Joni woke him up angry with him. He didn't know what was going on and why Joni was so mad, so he shut the door to the bedroom and he locked it, and he started putting on some clothes so he could leave. Joni, angry, took a hammer to the bedroom door. When she broke through the paneling, she unlocked the door and opened it. She walked to the edge of the bed, repeating, quote, I need to get it. She was standing a short distance away from where Owen was standing, and Owen said of it, quote, he could feel the violence in the air. So he grabbed his key and he left the house. He walked to his clinic, which is about a mile and a half away, and decided he would just sleep there. In the morning at 9 a.m., clinical assistant Jennifer unlocked the door, letting a patient into the building with her, and she was very surprised to see Owen there. First of all, he doesn't sleep there. Like, that didn't make any sense. But also, he looked a mess. He was wearing the same khakis, dress shirt, and tie that he had worn the day before, except that now they were wrinkled. He told Jennifer, quote, me and Joni had a really big fight last night, and it was, it was the worst. The worst it's ever been. That morning, Jennifer received a few phone calls from a friend of Joni who was looking for her. They told her that the home at the house was busy, so they thought maybe she, like, maybe something weird happened, or maybe she was there at the office or something. And at noon... Jennifer tried calling again, and still, the line was busy there, so she decided she would take the short trip, again, they're only about a mile and a half away, to the house and see what's up. When Jennifer arrived, the door was locked, which is uncharacteristic of anybody on this island. But Joni and Owen didn't lock their doors, period. So she was like, okay, that's weird. So she yelled Joni's name through a part that looked like part of a window was open a little bit, so she yelled Joni's name in that window, but she didn't get any response. She said she got a weird feeling, so she decided to leave. At 2 p.m., Owen told Jennifer that he needed the clinic checkbook, which was at his house. They went back there together. Now, I think it's weird that they went back together, but I have a couple theories about this, but we're going to talk about it later. So hold on to your thoughts currently. Everybody just start thinking about why on earth are they going there together? But okay. So they get to the house. The door is still locked. I guess when Owen took his key, it was only to the key to his office because he had to hoist Jennifer up through that window that was ajar. She looked briefly around before opening the door for Owen. There was no evident sign of Joni. So Owen grabbed the checkbook and asked Jennifer if she had checked the bathroom. Next to the bathroom, by the master bedroom door, laid the remnants of the fight, the splintered wood, the hammer, so she, Jennifer's like, no, I, I didn't look in the bathroom. So he went over to the bathroom and he opened the door and he began to yell. 
The floor had a small pool of water with jean shorts laying in it and a cleaning spray on top. Hanging on the tub's edge was a red plaid shirt. Next to the tub was a set of house keys. On the toilet was a burning candle, the kind like that are in those tall glass containers with the Virgin Mary on it. And next to it were cigarettes and a lighter. Joni was in the bathtub, face down, with her head underneath the faucet and her eyes closed. Her long hair was partially in her mouth and her teeth. She had a red mark above her left eye that looked like a bruise. So at a young 43 years old, Joni was deceased. Owen came out of the bathroom with his hands wet and his pants wet from touching them with his hands. Jennifer called 911. Owen said that he didn't know if he moved her. He said he thought maybe she was pretending. Owen said, quote, I reached down to touch her and the water was cold and Joni was stiff. She was in rigor mortis. So just a few quick facts on rigor mortis. It, be- it begins between one and six hours after death. Cold slows it down, warm speeds it up. I'm not suggesting that the water being cold means that it should have slowed down rigor for her. If she had been taking a bath, the warm water very easily could have gotten cold pretty quick. We all know that happens. You take a bath and every, like, well, for me, like every minute and a half, I'm adding hot water to it. Fine. What doesn't make sense to me is that the bathroom had a small pool of water. So, like, was the water still running? Like, because if it's still running, you're telling me that she was taking a cold bath. Because the water would still be hot. But there's no report of the water running. So, did she overflow the bathtub and then turn off the water if she was deceased? Because that doesn't make sense. And if she's not deceased when this happened, then why would she overflow the bathtub? Right, so, like, to me, like, the way the picture is being... The way the picture is on my head, it's she overflowed the bathtub while she was alive, and then she got it there, causing a little bit of the water to put, like to get out of the tub onto the floor. So mm-hmm. for right now, I'm thinking she she committed suicide. Right now, okay. I and did you think she overflowed it. Right, because, you know, like, you can, you sit there, you fill up the bathtub before you take a bath, and then you're like, okay, this seems like a good amount, and then once you get in there, it rises a little bit more, so then, oh, so you're suggesting yes. that she got in after she filled it too high. That's a great point. Okay, <laughs> I like that. That makes some sense to me, actually. So. Right. <laughs> And then she turned it off. She was like, whatever. I don't give a shit. <laughs> right, That's exactly. what I would do. Well, I'm going to take my bath. I'm already wet. I'm already going to get everything wet. So I'm just going to take my bath. Okay. Now that makes perfect sense. Okay. So what Owen told Jennifer next is a little bit damning in my opinion, though. He said, quote, I think she, too mu- I think she took too much Valium because I had just called her in Valium the day before that this had happened. I don't know how else I'm going to say it, so I'm just going to go ahead and say it. We frequently see this in cases that we have covered when someone is guilty, that they try and immediately make an excuse or find something to blame for the cause of death. And I'm not saying that this is necessarily what Owen's doing or that he's guilty. What I am saying is that I find it very peculiar that someone would find their deceased 
wife in a bathtub and not even just think, but say, bet it was the Valium. But also, he called her an Ativan, not Valium. So, th- there are similar medications, but he's a doctor. So, like, if you're going to blame a drug for your wife's death, can you please at least say the one, that, like, that it could have possibly been? So, now that being said, he did tell Jennifer this statement. So, it's possible she misremembered the medication, but I thought that inconsistency was a little weird. Right. Because, again, like, to he's me, like, that kind of sounds like a narrative. He's putting that out there. That way, it's in her head. So, when she's questioned, she's like, oh, yeah, like, you know... He, we talked, she got Valium, and then da 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 Like, he was setting up the alibi with, right. like, including her. Right. And, it, you know, that, and what he actually physically said to her might have had no weight on it. I mean, people always criticize how people act immediately after someone's death. I just, I think it's really weird when people are like, I mean, I get that you're trying to rationalize it. Right. They're like, well, what would have happened? What would have happened? But, like, the fact that his first thought is, oh, I bet you it's that Ativan I prescribed her yesterday. Right. Or that's, like, um, there was another case I think we did where they were, like, something happened, and they were, like, oh, great, now we're going to be the ones that they look at. Like, it's, like, stuff like that. Like, you say damning things like that at the time, and there's people around you, and it's kind of, like, what the fuck? Like... That's right. the first thing that comes to your head. Not oh my god, I need to call nine one one. I need to call somebody to come figure out what happened to my wife. Like we need to get this shit going. Right. Like no, it was it was probably the value. Right, exactly. Why would your first reaction not be like, well, what the fuck happened? So, you know, and again, that's me being a little bit judgmental in how he is responding, which. Everybody does, and it's not always fair. And I can recognize that I'm not necessarily being fair with that. I just think that that's a little sketch. But I'll leave it at that for now. So Coroner James Metz and Police Detective Corporal Bob Bryson came to the scene. Now, before I continue with what happens, I do need to acknowledge that Coroner Metz is a friend of Joni's family. So there is a potential conflict of interest coming into this. Police ended up finding the Ativan prescription bottle in the kitchen trash. When Joni's body was pulled from the tub, Owen's debit card was underneath her. They asked him about it, and he couldn't explain how it got there. And in fact, he said that the last place he knew that his debit card was was his shirt pocket when they went out for their date. Another thing police were incredibly suspicious of was that there was only one set of fingerprints in the bathroom, and they belonged to Jennifer, who went to the house with Owen. Not a single other fingerprint was found in the bathroom. It had all been wiped clean. Now, mind you, Owen was living there. Like, his fingerprints should have been there. Right. So investigators immediately called the stage scene, or the scene stage. (laughs) Investigators immediately called the scene staged. So on that note, I do want to go ahead and just talk a little bit about why on earth Jennifer went to the house with Owen. Because to me, this happened for the reason that it happens every single time that the husband's guilty. They don't want to find the person alone. Right. He needed her to go with him to kind of corroborate the story that 
he had nothing to do with it. He was elsewhere when she potentially yes. died. And here's my witness. She's here with me. So it's just a little bit weird that he had her go with. First of all, it's not a task that takes two people. No. Second of all, I'm sorry, does everybody just leave the <laughs> office in the middle of the day? That's what I was thinking. I was like, oh my God, could you imagine the two main people in the office leaving at the same time? But no, I mean, honestly, just the thing with that just reminds me of how many times we've seen that before that you can't, you know, you have an alibi for that morning. You've been at work. But if you find Joni alone, that period of time that you're gone and your story is not corroborated with anybody else. So it makes perfect sense to want to have somebody there. Right. So, can we talk about other things, too, now that we're discussing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> so, so, I did want to talk about the Oxycontin prescription. Oh, no, we can't talk about that yet, because I got more on that later. Damn it. Okay, can we talk about um, him prescribing... Okay, so, I want to talk about him prescribing her um, Ativan. Because he, he did prescribe her Lorazepam, but not Valium. Right? Correct. I do have more on the Ativan too, though. Okay, I'll wait for that then. Wait until we get there. Okay. Okay, I'll try to. I'll let you know when your time is. Uh, no. Okay, that's it. That's all I have then. Okay. (laughs) Now, obviously, Owen was interviewed immediately, and here's the story that he told police: Joni and him got into a fight when they got home from their date in Savannah. The fight went from verbal to physical, and Joni tried to attack him with a hammer. His next report, the following day, is the version of the story that I already told you, with him being asleep and Jody coming home around 3.30 and attacking him, not right after their date in Savannah. And this timeline can be corroborated by witnesses, because we know she was out until at least 3 a.m. Okay. She was at a bar. She was seen. So that's a completely different series of events and timeline that he first told police. Why would you lie about the time of your fight and when you left the house? That's weird. So Detective Bryson said of his interview with Owen, quote, I then asked Dr. O'Shaughnessy if he had murdered his wife and he began to cry. I asked him again, how did he kill her? And he replied that he didn't kill her. I told him that it appears to be a domestic violence homicide. Owen stated that he thinks Joni may have killed herself because he didn't want kids and they argued about it. Her friends and family, however, insist that Joni was the one who didn't want kids. Joni's mother states that Joni also told her recently that she was afraid of Owen. And friends also insist that Joey would never kill herself. In fact, she was known among them to be super upset when hearing about other people, even if she didn't know them, completed suicide because she thought, quote, life was too precious. So she was morally against suicide. He suggested, Owen suggested, that instead of suicide, it was probably an accident then. He said that between the alcohol and pills, she probably stood up to get out of the bath, fell, knocked herself unconscious, and died. Now, again, why is he giving so many narratives to how Joni died? And why is his own story and timeline of events so different. Yes, I am giving you a narrative right now that I think that Owen 100% had something to do with this at this point in time. Yeah. We're going to talk about more, but I'm saying based on those facts, I think he looks pretty guilty. 
Absolutely. Especially with like, I think I yelled that. I didn't mean to yell that. But... <laughs> <laughs> Don't yell at me. <laughs> no, but seriously, it's like, if you're not guilty, why lie? How many times do we have to say this? Why are you lying? It doesn't make any sense for you to lie if you're innocent. Like, it's just dumb and it just hurts you in the end. It doesn't make any sense. Right. And what's really crazy about that, too, is that his first story that he told police was different from the story that I told you to begin with is what he told Jennifer is what his story ended up being in the long run, which is that, you know, she got home at 3.30. It's like, did you forget when you were interviewed the first time that people saw her out? Right. Because that's kind of what it sounds like to me. Is he was like, okay, well, this is going to be my story. I'm going to stick to it. And then, oh, shit, people saw her out until 3 a.m. I got to change my story. That makes that's sense. kind of the impression I get. I could be wrong. But anyways, at this point in time, I feel like the next way to possibly consider what happened here is our autopsy. We already know what her friends, family, husband, and the detective have said prior to this autopsy. So all that we've already talked about has happened before we've gotten her autopsy. So Joni's toxicology I want to talk about first. It came back with a blood alcohol content of 0 0.099. Now the legal driving limit here in the U.S. is 0 0.08. So considering that Joni's a seasoned drinker, that's not very much. Like I can blow a 0 0.08 if I drink like three or four IPAs. Like it's not a ton. <laughs> So the legal driving limit means you aren't considered very impaired. So being slightly above that probably means you have a buzz, a good buzz. Yeah. Because obviously the legal limit is not meant for you to be able to drive with a buzz. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right, the legal exactly. limit is, it's meant for you to be able to drive and be completely competent and coherent. And so being a 0.99 instead of, or a 0 0.099, dear God, not a 0.99, you'd be dead. Um, a 0 0.099 instead of a 0 0.08. It means she's just barely past that limit. So just want to keep that in mind. She was not by any standard drunk. That being said, all 30 of the Ativan tablets were found in Joni's system. Now, this could be a super bad combination. I can confirm that Joni has experience with pain medications, but I do not know if she has experience with benzodiazepines. Both benzodiazepines and alcohol depress the central nervous system. So alcohol can increase the effect of the benzodiazepine. Because of this, there are a lot of common negative side effects of mixing the two, and it's highly discouraged to mix them. Now, I know that with that information, some people are probably starting to think that an accidental death or suicide are a little bit more likely because somebody consuming an entire bottle of Ativan it's right, not, it's, it, it's like, it's different than just taking one or two tablets. Like, you would literally have to either, like, put the whole bottle in your mouth and just swallow it or pour it in, like, you, it's, it's a really big difference. <laughs> right, exactly. And people don't just take an entire bottle of pills for no reason. So, there's something interesting about that, though. Only a very small amount of the Ativan had actually been in, absorbed in her blood, and most of it was still sitting in her stomach. So the amount of Ativan that had metabolized in her blood was actually within a reasonable therapeutic limit. So her brain had not yet been affected by an Ativan overdose. So from what you just said, I feel like 
maybe she took a few of them, like, right before the rest of it. Like, does like that she make took, sense? She took a couple, didn't feel anything, and then started taking and then more. took the rest of it, yeah. So, I get why you, I get why you would say that. My thing with that is that Joni uses pills. Joni is aware that pills don't start two seconds after you take them. Right. Additionally, Ativan is a fast-working drug. It starts working within 20 to 30 minutes. But it takes a little over an hour to reach its full effect. Gotcha. So, but we're still talking in this time frame. So she, based on there being a small amount of Ativan in her blood, but most of it in her stomach, it's probably safe to say that Joni died within 20 to 60 minutes after consuming the entire bottle of Ativan. And yes, the alcohol can increase the effect of Ativan, but she doesn't have a lot of Ativan or a lot of alcohol in her system. So it's possible. But since the effects vary person to person, I can't really say whether or not it's likely. So in regards to this Ativan then, there's a very important question. Did she take it herself? Because taking an entire bottle of a benzodiazepine on purpose is definitely indicative of suicide. It is not possible to make someone ingest drugs after they are already dead. So when she w- so she was alive when she took the medication. So then the question begins to be, well, could she have been forced to take it? I was just about to ask you that cuz so like Again, the picture that's that I have in my brain is okay, so she took the first set like normal and then like let's say if he did go and like force them down her throat basically, what do you do? Like hold her mouth open and like throw the whole like throw the whole thing in her mouth and make her swallow it? Like it's just it's kind of it's like an odd thought. It is. And see, that's that's what investigators pretty much thought, too. They're like, okay, so it the fact that those are all in her system, even though they weren't all absorbed in her system, they're all physically ingested. So how probable is it that someone could actually force someone to take drugs? So th- this is a lot to consider because, and we've talked about things like this before in certain cases. We talked about this especially in the Durham family murders. Like, if... Someone held a gun to you and told you to take the pills is a way that you could be forced to take pills without somebody physically holding your mouth open and shoving them in you. That is true. And then they were known to get particularly violent towards each other. So, like, I could see that. Like, maybe it went too far and she, like, was really afraid of him and he... Right, and I guess my problem so far with this Ativan, because to me it does, it makes more sense that she took it herself, and that you know that overdose was purposeful. But the problem with that is there wasn't enough in her system to kill her that had been absorbed. You know what I mean? She had a therapeutic amount of Ativan actually absorbed in her bloodstream. Right. So she was still alive when she took the medication. Period. Upon discovering that the contents of the bottle was in Joni's system, Owen said, quote, As I look back, I think the anxiety was because she had decided to end her life. I don't think it was a spur-of-the-moment thing. 
okay, even if even if she did decide to end her life, kind of not a necessary comment for you to make. Right. Like, who are you to speak for her? Right. Don't, don't do that. I don't know. That It just rubs me the wrong way. Coroner Metz came back with the opinion that, quote, she was suffocated, manually suffocated with the hand over the nose and mouth and held underwater in the bathtub while this was done. He ruled her death a homicide. Well, the Georgia Bureau of Investigation, GBI, also performed an autopsy. Medical examiner Keith Lehman said that the death was, quote, drowning complicated by acute Ativan and alcohol intoxication. This said that the manner of death was undetermined. Now, this determination led to a stall in the investigation. So a year later, Police Captain Bob Merriman and District Attorney Chief Investigator J.D. Smith began a reinvestigation. Merriman stated that the death was suspicious and the scene in the bathroom appeared to be staged. Merriman said in regards to Owen's debit card being found under Joni's body, quote, I'm assuming that he was in there with her because he said he had the debit card in his shirt pocket. But then again, he's saying he left and went down and walked to his office. As to the theory about how the debit card got there, I'd leave that open. But the thing that really held investigators back was trying to think of how someone could be forced to take a bottle of pills. Now, Owen had no scratch marks on his arm or hands, which police think he would if he had been attacking Joni. Additionally, there were no evident defensive wounds on Joni's body. So here's where we go again with that. It's possible to be threatened externally without having somebody physically touching you. But if she was suffocated or drowned by somebody else, the odds of her not having defensive wounds seem low. I have one thing to um, ask you about as far as the consumption of these pills. So what if he opened her mouth like forcefully opened her mouth, poured the bottle in there, and then pushed her under the water. And obviously she can't breathe, so she's gonna gulp for air. Um, even though she's underwater, she's gonna she's gonna end up inhaling water, and then that helped push the pills down. And also helped drown her. Exactly. That is interesting. I just solved the fucking case. <laughs> I don't know that I would say that, but no, that, that's actually really interesting because I've really gotten caught up on the pills too. Like how, how is that possible? But there's also an explanation that wasn't talked about in any of the research that I did that I want to also address, which is he could have assisted her in suicide. That's a good fucking point. Yeah. He could have been like, you know what? You're in this low state. Maybe you'll feel better if you just take this whole bottle of add a van. I'll go ahead and I'll get the bath started for you. You can go and lay down. It's a good fucking point. I hate it. These are all just maybes. Every single one of these scenarios is a maybe. So District Attorney Spencer Lawton concluded, quote, we did not present it to the grand jury because there was, in my opinion, not even what we call probable cause that it was not an accident, which is what we would have to do. He didn't clear Owen, but this is where the case stands today as undetermined. So I said we were going to touch back on the Oxycontin later and him writing a prescription for somebody else under Joni's name. 
Owen's office was later raided by the Chatham-Savannah counter-narcotics team and the U.S. Drug Enforcement Agency, which, which is the DEA. So they collected all the patient records. They found that he had not kept proper records for his prescriptions and also had prescribed Oxycontin to people with no documentation about the indication or purpose of that medication. So just to conclude my opinions on that, I want to say that Owen giving Joni a prescription for Oxycontin for someone else is not probable because he clearly did not give a shit about following those rules. And he actually ended up losing his license to practice medicine in Georgia. That's a great fucking job for the DEA. I agree. But also strongly, in my opinion, then says, of course, he wrote that prescription just for Joni. He did not care if he wrote it for somebody else for no reason. Right, exactly. So, like, the fact that she was a partier and she used to take pills, like, for me, with him willingly writing this prescription for Oxycontin for her, but supposedly for somebody else, like, what's to say he wasn't, fun, like, writing her more prescriptions for party, like, drugs they can use to party with, like, she could. Like you know, how people take Adderall and stuff like that for recreational purposes rather than actual medical purposes. Right. Um, so I feel like he could have been doing that. And like you said, he just used used the excuse that it was really for somebody else and not for her as an, right. like, to cover it in a way. And the thing about that too, and the reason I wanted to hold that till the end is because now that I've mentioned the concept of the assisted suicide, to me, him saying that he doesn't agree with, you know, Joni's lifestyle and all the partying and stuff like that, and that he didn't write her a prescription for Oxycontin, he wouldn't do that, it was for somebody else, yada yada. Well, that's obviously not true. Right. So to me, I'm like, were, have you been trying to convince her to complete suicide? Yeah, and also the fact that he wouldn't even write her a prescription for antibiotics, but he was willingly writing her prescriptions for controlled substances. Um, what the fuck? Yeah. Like, what? So, and you know, and that could just be completely wrong. I mean, he not he wasn't necessarily doing it. I just, you know, I go back and forth on certain things. You know, he might have just been like, you know what, this makes her happy. And I want her to be happy. And it's not harming her and it's whatever. I strongly disagree with the recreational use of prescription medication. So for me, I don't care who it is that's doing that. I'm going to disapprove of it. Absolutely. And can we just say that like you spent X amount of years going to school and just for you to potentially have it all like taken away from you just to As support did. somebody's lifestyle. Like that's ridiculous. Like I don't care how much you love somebody that is your life. That is what you spend the majority of your life, you know, perfecting and learning and put like causing all this harm to people. Like that's right. not okay. Like that's just dumb. Also, um, where you were saying about him potentially assisting her with suicide, like that is like, I never thought about that, but that is, that is a great point because you see cases like the one girl with ugly ass eyebrows that um, was texting her boyfriend. Oh, I know exactly um, what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was texting. 
I don't know her fucking name. Her eyebrows were hideous. Uh, I don't fucking know. But, like, she's, like, sitting there texting him. Yeah, you're right. Everybody would be better off without you. Blah, 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 blah. Like, that shit is, like, that is a mind fuck all on its own. Like, obviously, that's the purpose of it. But, like, you're getting abused potentially, like, physically, mentally, verbally, 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 and then, (laughs) and then the person who you love the most is sitting there and, like, encouraging you to die, like, at that point, you're in your brain, and you're like, okay, well, he, he's supposed to love me more than anybody, and he's the one telling me I should go through with this, so maybe I should just fucking do this, and he's gonna be here with me. Yeah. When people are in any kind of a bad mental state like that, I mean, that just, you know, contributes even more to it. And she had told him that she was having, you know, really, you know, generalized anxiety for reasons she couldn't, she had no idea. And so to contribute to that, you know, and who knows, and he might legitimately have had nothing to do with this. I just think that he didn't help himself at all look innocent. No, absolutely not. That's just what I'm going to say. But that being said... I do see the possibility of her completing suicide. So can we backtrack to what he said about her um, taking, was it the hammer to the door? Yes. Do you believe that? That she did that? No. I was going to say, because I don't think, I don't, I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't think that she did it. I think he did it. And I'm not trying to generalize, like, a whole group of people by any means, but just, like... But let me for a second. <laughs> right, right, right. Let me just do it real quick. Because, like, a lot of times you hear about these guys or these people who are just quiet to themselves. They're introverted. Like, you know, they don't do X, Y, and Z like everybody else. But clearly he has some kind of anger in him because they're constantly arguing, constantly fighting. So what's to say he didn't get pissed because she was out so late after they just went to dinner to try to reconcile their um, marriage or their relationship and stuff. And he's like, what the fuck were you doing out till three o'clock in the morning? Like, what the fuck is your problem? And then she, what, what door was this? Was this their bedroom door? It was the bedroom door. The bedroom door. Like she may have locked herself in there because shit was escalating. And he was the one that took the hammer to the door and tried to get in there. Like, in a fit of rage. Like, I, like, for me, that's how I feel that way, in my opinion. And the thing is with that, too, that it would make sense then that she could be intimidated into doing something. Exactly. Exactly. The problem, though, is that I don't want to discount her ability to also be that angry. Yeah, that's true. You know, I think that it's very possible that she was angry and went at the door with a hammer. She didn't, he said that he felt that he was, you know, in danger and felt violence in the air and whatever. And, I mean, we don't know. We'll never know if one of them was particularly violent. But it's very possible that she was the violent one. And um, I also just want to point out one other thing about that night. I told you, too, that he locked the bedroom door. So he can put on some clothes and get out of there? Yes. So he said he put on khakis and a t-shirt. But then Jennifer the next morning said he was wearing the same clothes that he had worn to the office the day before. 
Now, what I find interesting about this, and what I want you to hear me out with, is his original narrative that he gave to police was they came home from the restaurant, uh-huh. and she went out, he went to bed, we know she went out. Right. So, he was still wearing that outfit, so perhaps he wore it to the dinner. I don't know what he wore to the dinner and stuff like that. Either way, those clothes were clearly near him. But what I can kind of see happening is that she went out. He was mad. She came back. Maybe she was mad when she came back. Maybe she did go through the door with a hammer. Mm -hmm. But the fact that he's wearing the same clothes as the day before to me means that he didn't go to bed. Okay. So that's kind of where I was going with that. And you know, with that being said, and then he's there the next morning, and then the next time he goes, and then all morning, nobody can get a hold of Joni. Mm-hmm. So, like, to me, I'm kind of like, well, what? and of course they don't have an exact time of death. And so to me, I'm like, well, is it possible that he got mad, attacked her when she got home, forced her somehow to take these pills, staged the scene, as everybody said, it looked staged. Mm-hmm. And then went to work to play in his narrative, not realizing that his stories were all conflicting. So, quick question: Whenever they did, they ever test the hammer to see whose fingerprints was on there? Not that I read. Okay, and then the fact that I just I just remembered that you said that the bathroom, like, no fingerprints were there except for Jennifer's. That's correct. Like, that doesn't, that doesn't help his case. Like, that makes it look even worse. Like, he already looked bad enough. But, like, even more so now because, like, what, what, what is the narrative? Like, she just went and wiped everything down and then decided to kill herself? That doesn't make it easy. That is kind of what it looks like, too, which is why everybody's saying it sounded staged because they're, it looks staged because, like, her clothes are kind of strewn about. The place is completely cleaned. There's some water on the floor. You know, her clothes are hanging over here, whatever. And on the toilets where she has the ashtray and the candle that's lit. So it almost looks like a memorial, so right. to speak. So, you know what I mean? It's like, so did you clean the entire bathroom, get in the tub, and then set up in a memorial? Take yeah, a bottle no. of pills. Well, first of all, the pill, well, she would have had to leave the water running, take the pills. The pill um, container was in the kitchen trash. So, you know, this can go with your theory of she raised the water too high and then she got in and she was like, oh, well, okay, guess fuck that. (laughs) Guess it flooded the bathroom, you know what I mean? Right. And I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I can see that too. That's the problem is I can see it. And I really don't know. I really don't know. And it's, you know, I just, oh, you know, I completely forgot what I was going to, my point with the, um whole thing okay so (laughs) this is out of place now so and with my theory about you know owen coming home and then not going to sleep and then you know them getting into a fight when she does come home also aligns with his debit card being in his pocket the last place that he saw it in his shirt pocket up on top leaning into the bathtub doing whatever to her, whether it's suffocating her, whether it's doing what you said and pour a bottle of pills in there and then shove her under the water. Yeah, definitely. Um, Because that's how the debit card would fall underneath her. That is true. That is true. How else would that get underneath her? That's a part of this story 
that I think is really damning too. Especially the fact that he says, I remember the last time I had my debit, the last time I had my debit card was in my shirt or in my, like on my person, basically. Like yeah. not at one, not at one point did he say, oh, well she actually had it last or anything like that because then it would be on her person. He, he told them it was on him and now all of a sudden right. it's underneath her body. Yeah, no. Yeah, and it was found underneath her body in clothes that he was wearing the day that she was last seen. Well, actually, technically she was seen at three in the morning. So the day that they went on their date and then the last day that she was seen alive by anybody that morning when he was at the office, he was wearing those same set of clothes. So going along with my theory of he never went to sleep, his debit card would still be in that pocket that he wore out to dinner that night. He said he used it at the restaurant out to dinner that night. It right. was in his shirt pocket, and then now it's underneath Jody's body. So how does that work? And you're still wearing those clothes. So. True. That is true. I just, I don't know. I, you know, we're, we can't make any actual accusations on this podcast. We are just two girls chatting about it. But <laughs> I lean a little bit more towards this being a homicide than I do a suicide. Or an yeah, assisted and- suicide. In my personal opinion, which is an opinion, once again, I'm leaning towards homicide. Um, yes. The suicidal assistance, like, yeah, that, that definitely makes a lot of sense as well. I feel, though, as it's, I feel more confident in the homicidal part. That's where I, I do stand. too. Yeah. And, you know, the thing is, too, I know that people always say that, you know, well, this person would never complete suicide. Like, they would never do that. Well, I would always hope that people would feel that way when somebody completes suicide and they didn't ignore all the signs of somebody evidently, or not evidently, be like, yeah, evidently. <laughs> Of, you know, I would hope that somebody wouldn't be completely ignoring, like, purposely ignoring all of those signs of somebody being suicidal. So it's like, yeah, most of the time it is a surprise. So at the same time, her family and her friends being like, okay, well, we would never expect that. That makes sense. It does. You don't know what's going on with her, in her head, in her mind, you know? The mind is a really terrible place sometimes. Right, and also you don't know what's going on in the relationship. Like, she may have said things, but, like, at the same time, you don't know how bad the mental abuse is or was. You don't know how bad the physical abuse was. You don't know. You just, you don't know. The only people that know are him and her. Right, exactly. And so, you know, I think all three of those are a very real possibility. I don't think that anybody outside of the two of them had any involvement. Nope. And I guess that's where I end with it is that's kind of what I'm leaning toward. Again, we're not making accusations. These are just, you know, opinions that we aren't stating conclusively, (laughs) (laughs) but we would love to hear what you guys think about this too. It is, it's a tricky, you know, there's a lot to digest in this case. So, you know, it's really heartbreaking she was only 43 years old, you know, she, you know, and I just want to also say again that, you know, any point of us talking about, you know, 
please don't use prescription drugs recreationally and stuff like that, is not to pass judgment on Joni. That is not the purpose of us saying that, and that is not the purpose of you knowing any of this. It was pertinent to the story, but also we just want to make sure that we simultaneously do not encourage that. So while it doesn't change who she was as a person and it's not anything negative about her, just, you know, please don't get into that if you're not already. Exactly. Um, yeah, you know, just basically going with what you said, like, probably just gonna repeat the same thing you said but like basically <laughs> no but no but seriously just you know at the end of the day like you said we're not judging her we're not judging anybody who does it you know it, it's part of who like part of her her story mm-hmm. so you know it wouldn't be fair if we just left that out in a way it would leave too many questions about... Right. I feel like maybe fair wasn't the right term. Like, it just wouldn't do... It just wouldn't put the picture together. Yeah. You can't look at this case without go. taking those factors in. And... Right. You know... Right. It just exactly. sucks. It sucks because I just... I don't, I don't even know. I know. I just, you know... Um... I just... I feel really bad for her. You know, she... Nobody deserves that, and I don't know if it's a way that she felt or if it's something that somebody else did to her, but either way, I would never wish that on anybody, and it sucks that her death is classified as undetermined, because that is, as we've discussed so many times, the most frustrating thing ever, because how can your loved ones get closure like that? Exactly. They they don't, and unfortunately, they probably never will, um, even though I really hope that they do this this does suck it's um this is really this is a really tough one too and i hope they eventually get justice i hope so too but you know it's not currently you know really under any kind of investigation so this is where this case stands for now so if you do want to see pictures from this episode you can check them out on our instagram at Crafts, drafts, and crime. If you would like to follow us on Facebook for updates about new episodes, you can do that at Crafts, drafts, and crime. If you would like to follow us on Twitter, you can do that at Crafts and crime. We also have Patreon where you can get some bonus episodes. This month we did just release a case that has to do with the same... (laughs) (laughs) It's under the same topic that we're in now. Which we have decided is going to be termed potential homicide, question mark. So that is, that case that we do in the Patreon this month is actually really, really cool because the ruling actually changed. So, you know, yeah. You can can follow us on Patreon. (laughs) Crafts, Jurassic Crime. And it's, um, it's definitely an interesting one. I had heard about it before. I, I hate to say, like, I enjoyed talking about it. I just, just the details of that case are just baffling. Like, all the all the things that happened. So, definitely go to Patreon, 
subscribe or however you do it and then listen. <laughs> I don't actually know how it works. Um, I know. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You subscribe on there and then you actually get an email every time that we post a new episode and it shows you the pictures and the description of the episode and stuff like that. So it's pretty cool. It's very user friendly and you can actually put that onto your podcast playing app so that they load automatically to your app instead of having to log into Patreon to listen to the episodes. There is that great feature. And if you want to write us an email so that we can, you know, discuss anything about the case, if you want to make a suggestion, or if you would like to tell us a listener story, you can do that at craftsdressandcrime at gmail.com. Please keep listening. Please tell us what you guys think about this case. Again, we're going to try to do it without making any blatant accusations. And yeah, keep it real. <laughs> yeah. Until next time. Bye. Bye. <laughs> you took my outro. Sorry. <laughs>